and the blind and the lame. How could you believe that one man's death could erase the sin of the entire world? How could you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, when people ask those questions, they are finding difficulties in the wrong places. Because the real mystery of the gospel is not in the Good Friday message of atonement. And the real mystery of the gospel is not in the Easter morning message of the resurrection. The real mystery of the gospel is in the Christmas message of the incarnation. The real staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. That God took on humanity without giving up deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. You see, the thing that happened at the first Christmas was the deepest and most unfathomable miracle of all. It's easy to communicate, but it's impossible to comprehend. John said it in four words in John 1.14. The Word became flesh. God became man. But the more you think about it, the more staggering it becomes. The eternal word, the one who spoke the universe into being, the eternal word spent nine months in silent solitude in Mary's womb. The little baby lying in Bethlehem made his mother. The one that the universe cannot contain became an embryo. The omnipotent God became a Jew. The all-powerful God became fragile. The infinite became an infant. The one who clothed the fields with grass was himself naked. The one who put every star in place had tiny, helpless little arms. The one whose feet had trod the eternal hills was on that day too weak to walk. Think about it. God couldn't walk. The omnipotent was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The Almighty God appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Think about that. He was a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie there, stare, cry, wiggle, gurgle, coo, spit up, needing to be fed, needing to be changed, needing to be cared for like any other child. 
Nothing in fiction is so fantastic. Superman, Iron Man, forget it. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the Incarnation. It is the greatest miracle of all. And when you fail to acknowledge what happened on that first Christmas day, then you will find difficulties in all of the rest of the Gospel account. But once the Incarnation is embraced as fact, once the Incarnation is grasped as a reality, these other difficulties dissolve. If Jesus had been nothing more than a very intelligent, very remarkable, very great, very godly man, it would be difficult to believe what the New Testament says about his words and his works. I certainly wouldn't believe it. But if we understand that Jesus is God, then everything else makes sense. It's not surprising that the supernatural one who had no beginning and would have no end would be born supernaturally of a virgin. It's not surprising that the one who created this world would come into this world creating bread and fish and wine and new limbs and health and life and new life. It's not surprising that the author and originator of life would rise from the dead. See, the surprising thing is not that he would rise. The surprising thing is that he would die at all. Charles Wesley writes, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Once we accept that Jesus is God, once we grasp that Jesus is God, it becomes unreasonable to find difficulty anywhere else. The incarnation is an unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything else in the Bible. Now, every false religion and every cult goes astray on the truth of the incarnation. And that's why it's not surprising that they pervert the gospel. So when I am talking to one, someone who has twisted the gospel, I always come back to this same question. Who is Jesus? And we find the answer at Christmas. That answer that's so clear in the Scriptures. Listen to what the prophet said. Isaiah 9, 6 that you find on many Christmas cards says this, A child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Jesus is God. Listen to what Jesus himself said. 
He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. In John 10.30, he said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, why are you going to stone me? And you know what they said? Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They understood his message. They just couldn't believe it. And so they accused him of blasphemy and picked up stones to kill him. Listen to what others said. Thomas, the guy who said, i got to put my fingers in the holes where the nails were in his hands. I've got to put my hand in his side where the spear went, or I won't believe. And Jesus shows up to Thomas alive after his resurrection, and Thomas says those great words, My Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't say, Whoa, you're going a little too far. Jesus says, because you have seen me, do you believe? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Believe what? That Jesus is our Lord and our God. Listen to what the Scriptures say. Two of the Gospels introduced Jesus in his birth. That's Matthew and Luke. Mark introduces Jesus as an adult. But John introduces Jesus before the beginning. Remember how his gospel begins? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was. Well, you say there's nothing before the beginning. Yeah. Before the beginning there was who? The Word. In the beginning was past tense the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, the Word became flesh. God became a man. And in between those two verses, in verse 3, we read this, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. The baby in Bethlehem was the creator God in Genesis 1.1. Paul says it this way in Colossians 2.9, For in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In 1 Timothy 3.16 he says, And without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So what's the miracle of the incarnation? What's the mystery of the incarnation? The prophets said it. Jesus said it. Others said it. The scriptures say it. God became man. The word became flesh. Hebrews 2.17 says he was made like his brethren in all things. The baby in the manger 
had not ceased to be God. He was no less God in Bethlehem than before. The baby in the manger had not ceased to be God. He had begun to be man. He was not now God minus some elements of his deity, but he was God plus all that man is. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was God as if he were not man and man as if he were not God. He is the God-man. Jesus is the first, the last, and the only one of his kind in heaven or on earth. He is deity and humanity combined together forever in one person. Now try to figure that out, and you can't. The mystery of the incarnation is unfathomable. I can formulate it into words, but I can't explain it. What we see in the manger is in Charles Wesley's words, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly man. And where our minds can go no further, we are wise like the wise men to contentedly worship. In the words of that familiar Christmas carol, O come, let us adore him. You say, well, Dan, if the incarnation isn't God minus something, then what does verse 7 mean in Philippians 2? Because it says in verse 6, He existed in the form of God, and then verse 7 says, He emptied Himself and took the form of a bondservant. What does that mean? What did Jesus empty Himself of to become a man? What did He give up to become a baby in that stable in Bethlehem. Well, there's been a lot of speculation about that. Some say he gave up part of his deity. Some say he gave up God consciousness, his divine powers. He gave up his divine attributes. He gave up his metaphysical attributes. Personally, I have some major problems with those speculations. Here are just three. Number one, how could we say that he was fully God if he lacked even one of the qualities of deity? Second, how how could he be the exact representation of God according to Hebrews 1.3? And how could he say, he who has seen me has seen the Father if he doesn't contain all that the Father is. And third, if as some argue, he had to give up some of his deity to become a man, then it follows that he lost it for eternity because he's still a man 
and he always will be. Now, I would argue God didn't give up any part of his deity to become a man. God didn't have to shave anything off to become a man. You say, well, what did he give up? Well, Jesus tells us. In his prayer the night before the cross, he tells us in John 17, verse 5, and here's what he says. He says, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I ever had with you before the world was. What's his prayer? Father, give me back the glory that I gave up from eternity past to come into this world. You see, there's only one thing that God gave up in becoming a man, and that was his glory. He didn't have his glory on this earth. He had it briefly on the Mount of Transfiguration when God pulled back the veil and he shone forth. But despite the pictures you see at Christmas time, Jesus did not have a halo. He didn't come with his glory. And that's why John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world did not know him. You see, the world didn't recognize him because he's not what men expected God to look like. He was God minus his glory. He emptied himself of his glory. And that's precisely what Philippians 2 is telling us. It says Jesus humbled himself, put his glory aside, and became a man. And then he humbled himself further and went to the cross And as a result of that, therefore, God has highly exalted him. God has given him back his glory and even greater glory than he had before. And that's the Christmas message. That God would humble himself to become a man. And then as a man, he would humble himself below any other man to go to the cross in our place. And that's why the Christmas message is full of hope today. Hope of forgiveness, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. All because Jesus humbled himself, all because God humbled himself to become a man in that stable, and then 30 years later, humbled himself to hang on the cross. There is no more amazing message that the world has ever heard or will ever hear. And I want to tell you this morning, you will never fully understand it. But what you can't fully comprehend, you can still get excited about. What you cannot wrap your finite mind around, you can still embrace and celebrate. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Have you settled that question? That the baby in the stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was the all-powerful God. And then if you settle that question... 
I want to ask a follow-up practical question. And it's the question I asked at the beginning. Have you got the Christmas spirit? You say, well, what is the Christmas spirit? Well, it's described in verse 5 of Philippians 2, the first verse that we read. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Christmas spirit is the attitude of Jesus personified in you and personified in me. The Christmas spirit is to do what Jesus did at the very first Christmas. He practiced the principle of humbling himself in order to be exalted by God. And because that's the Christmas spirit, I think we need to redefine our concept of it. And so in closing today, I want to give you seven clarifications about the Christmas spirit. These are things I thought of. They're not a complete list. And I'll hit them real quick. Number one, the Christmas spirit is not a feeling. It's an attitude. Have this attitude in you, or your Bible may say have this mind in you, because the word really means a mindset. That the direction of your thoughts line up with the direction of Jesus' thoughts, that he wanted to humble himself in order to be exalted. It's not a feeling, it's an attitude. Secondly, it's not seasonal, it's a lifestyle. God didn't intend for us to do this for three weeks in December. He meant for it to be a lifestyle. Third, you don't get into the Christmas spirit. It gets into you. The exciting thing is that Jesus became like you in order that you would become like him. And the change agent to accomplish that is the Holy Spirit of God. He has placed His Spirit inside of you to change you and mold you and make you like the Lord Jesus. Fourth, it's not something you get up for, it's something you get down for. Some people say, I can't get up for Christmas. You don't have to. Get down. Because the primary trait of the Christmas spirit is humility. And Paul explains it to us in chapter 2 and verse 3 in a verse we didn't read. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. I don't know about you, but my two biggest problems are really one. It's me. My two biggest problems are I'm selfish and I'm proud. So Paul hits me right between the eyes here. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. I don't get up for this, I get down for this. I get rid of my selfishness and my pride so that I see other people now as more important than me. Fifth, The Christmas spirit is not just about a birth, it's about a death. Because Jesus came to Bethlehem to go to Calvary. 
And here in Philippians 2, it says the extent of his humility was the cross. And God is calling you to that same mindset. He wants to take you to that same place, death to self. Because it's only through death to self that I'm freed from self. It's only in death to self that I'm freed from that pride. And it's only in death to self that I'm freed to truly love other people. Sixth clarification. It's not about getting. It's about giving. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like Jesus, practice the principle of making themselves poor in order to make others rich. It's giving. Not just a gift, but yourself. It's giving. Not just a gift, but your interest, your value, the importance. You put it on someone else instead of yourself. It's giving, not just a gift, but your complete worship to God. And then seventh and finally, the Christmas spirit is not celebrating a day. It's celebrating a person. Each year at Christmas time, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital in St. Louis asked people from around the world to send messages of hope to sick and injured children who are going to be hospitalized during the holidays to encourage them. And to promote this, they run a 30-second public service spot on national television. This year's spot was set to run on ESPN. An article in Thursday's Post-Dispatch informed readers that ESPN refused to run the ad because it had the following line in it. At Cardinal Glennon, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. When asked why they wouldn't run the ad, the hospital was told by ESPN that the reference to Jesus was, quote, problematic to them. Well, this passage tells me that one day, every knee will bow. At the name which is above every name. And that name is Jesus. And one day, ESPN will bow. Someday, every knee will bow, those in heaven and earth and even under the earth, to that one name which is above every name. The name of Jesus. Now, I have to agree with ESPN that Jesus is problematic. They wouldn't have a problem if they said, we're going to celebrate the birth of Cardinal Glennon. Not even sure who he is. I think he's a baseball player. They wouldn't have had any problem if they wanted to celebrate any other important famous person. 
But see, Jesus is problematic. Because when he came to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, God became man. And you will never solve that problem intellectually. Because you cannot get your finite mind to comprehend that God became man. The only way you can solve that problem is spiritually. By embracing Him in simple, childlike faith. And when you do, then you can assume the posture that He assumed, that is to bow in humility. To obey to bow to obey the Father no matter what, even if it means going to the cross. To bow and serve others so that I consider them more important than myself. And to bow to glorify God in all that I do and say. And when you do that, then you'll be able to say, I have the Christmas spirit.